0: On Guido Talks this week, we reveal new footage that shows business-friendly Keir Starmer supported overthrowing capitalism, the government swerves with jiggery-pokery on the genocide amendment vote, and Boris Johnson hires three separate photographers to take pictures of his dog. All that and more coming up on the show. Stick about. Hello and welcome to another episode of Guido Talks, the show where we review the week of news on the Guido Forks website. My name's Tom Harwood and once again I'm joined by reporter Christian Kalgi, and not Paul Staines, the founder and editor of Guido Forks. This week Paul has had some technical issues and so can't be joining us. Um, I, I hear that the issues might be something to do with the fact that we're recording this on his birthday. Well, Without further ado, let's get on with the show. During PMQs this week, Keir Starmer was incredibly keen to paint himself as a business-friendly figure. He used all of his questions to quote uh, people from the Chamber of Commerce and business owners and saying how important it is to protect businesses throughout this pandemic, which is a world away from a video that we unearthed uh, from February last year during the leadership contest, where so Keir had something very different to say. I think we've got to have the courage to say the economic system, the free market economic system, is busted. It needs to be replaced with a new economic system, where or model, where government sets the direction and sets the framework. Now that was Keir Starmer speaking to the hard left, Mayor of North of Tyne, one of the last vestiges of the Corbyn era um, left in the Labour Party, but um, that was less than a year ago that Sakia was talking about overthrowing capitalism. And now he's trying to appear as sort of a business-friendly, middle-of-the-road figure. And I just wonder how many things, how many bits and bobs from his leadership campaign, which was very, very recent, where he was saying very, very different things in a very, very different way to the way that he's speaking now. How much is this going to come back to bite him and make him seem sort of two-faced to the electorate? This week we saw the Green Party uh, in, uh, I think, uh,
1: overtaking the Liberal Democrats, because there's a lot of um, spillage from the Labour left. We saw two minority Labour activist groups uh, go on uh, strike over campaigning for Labour ahead of the May elections. Uh, We saw uh, the grassroots Black left and Labour Black socialists, both uh, saying that Starmer is being an absolute shambles when it comes to anti-Black and Islamophobic racism. Uh, in the Labour Party, and we saw Starmer's own uh, old legal group, Socialist Lawyers, uh, disavow him and say he's banned from returning uh, as a member. And Starmer used to be the secretary of this group, so he's losing a lot of friends on the left, the middle and the right. And it's
0: easy to see why, really, because Keir Starmer just doesn't appear that authentic. Um, There was a LBC phone-in about a month ago, where a caller spoke up and started um, spouting the most disgusting racist bile about the great replacement conspiracy theory about eradicating white people within Britain. And he just sat there and nodded. Now, any reasonable politician would, would try and challenge that sort of racism on, live on air. However, Keir Starmer is so desperate to be sort of taken uh, as if he's, as, I, I don't know, so, sort of wants to undo his lefty liberal image that he doesn't know when it's right to call out that sort of disgusting stuff or, or, or whether to just sit placidly by and, and, and nod along. It's clear that he doesn't have any principles when it comes to this. Now this week in the capital we had some interesting news and that was the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, announced the membership of his new Statues Review Committee. Now this committee is a group of people, a commission of people, who are going to go through and look at the historical landmarks, street names, all the sort of things around the capital and try and make it more diverse. This was announced initially in the response to the Black Lives Matter protests in the summer. Now one of the people who caught our eye on this commission was a man by the name of Toyin Agbetu. Um, For those of you who haven't heard of him, if you give his name a quick Google, you can soon see that this was a man who interrupted a service in the late 2000s commemorating the end of the slave trade by heckling the Queen and shouting at the Queen and the assembled clergy as well as being restrained by a team of security while he thrashed around let's have a look at the video
1: as he approached the queen looked up he stopped at the bottom of the steps at the top of which the queen was seated let go of me the service came to a halt the congregation watched as, still standing a few yards from the Queen, the protester Toyen Beto demanded that Britain issue a formal apology for its part in the slave trade.
0: A word, sorry. So can you let me go to
1: the You're a disgrace.
0: Now you can see him there violently threatening the security, uh, as well as shouting horrific things at the Queen. This is the kind of person who is who has been placed on this commission to decide London's cultural landscape. It really beggars belief, doesn't it, Calgi? It's quite remarkable. I was uh, told the other
1: day, it was a very logical thing, that actually the only people from this sort of era who are actually being punished with their statues now up for debate are the philanthropists the people that yes made money out of the slave trade but then tried giving it back to the community in fact all the the people who went into the slave trade and just kept the money in the family and built up massive country estates and didn't give anything back to the community are actually their legacies are intact and it's quite a bizarre sort of rule of life there (laughs)
0: Well, it's a a tricky situation all round, isn't it? Because in the summer, Sadiq was uh, put out a statement saying that he wanted to remove any statue with uh, links to slavery. Now, unfortunately, the history of this country is that quite a few people Um, who were prominent and who had statues um, back from the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, how you, you could find links to slavery, not least with regard to London's oldest statue, which is of Queen Elizabeth I. Now, it was Queen Elizabeth I who funded, unfortunately, some slaving missions. But does that really mean that we should tear down her statue? It seems that there are going to be some incredibly arbitrary lines drawn here. Um, and it was interesting to see when the Commission was announced they put out this statement saying their primary focus will not be on taking down statues. Now, they didn't deny that they would take down statues, but they wanted to talk up the nice and, and righteous um, objective of putting up more, more diverse statues. That's, um, I think, something that everyone can get behind. Everyone can get behind um, honouring, for example, the, the Sikh troops who fought for us in the Second World War and oh so many more people who probably should have more representation on the streets of London. But they didn't deny they would take down statues. And I think Think that that's something that is, is deeply worrying, especially when the Commission is staffed by people who clearly loathe just about everything that this country stands for. And clearly um, we
1: are heading for some sort of slightly major clash because the Department for Local Government and Communities have really been putting out a lot of, of, of stuff on this recently. Briefing multiple papers that there's going to be new laws and new restrictions and they're going to be intervening we've already seen Robert Jenrick intervening with a couple of statues. uh, Being proposed to be taken down in central London Uh, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be a very interesting argument to play out and see um, see who wins.
0: Absolutely. And we've seen, particularly with regard to universities, people who aren't even known um, for, for being involved in the slave trade, tangential links, um, whether it's, whether it's enlightenment philosophers up in Scotland or liberal politicians in England, the the buildings that are named after these people are being completely changed and taken away. And I think it's a very worrying precedent when it's someone, it's obviously more debatable if it's someone who's only known for being slavey McSlaveface. face, but if it's someone who, who is only tangentially and is primarily known and remembered for, um, for something completely different. Uh, where's the justification? I, I think this is quite a worrying trend.
1: Talking of having it both ways, the government's performed a remarkable U-turn this week on the topic of Covid passports. On Sunday, we have the Vaccine Minister, Nadim Zahawi, saying this.
0: The Prime Minister of Greece has said that he would welcome people to come on holiday in Greece, but they will have to have some kind of vaccine passport to show they've been vaccinated first. Is that something that the British government is looking at, the idea of a vaccine passport specifically to allow people to come and go in in the months ahead?
1: No, we're not. Uh, and there are several reasons why we're not doing that. One, vaccines are not mandated in this country, as Boris Johnson has quite rightly reminded Parliament. You know, that's not how we do things in the UK. We do them by consent. Uh, we yet don't know what the uh, impact of vaccines on transmission is, and it would be discriminatory. Of course, you have the evidence that you've been vaccinated held by your gP. and if other countries require you to to show proof of that evidence, then that is obviously up to those countries, but we are we've vaccinated or we've given the first dose to eleven and a half million uh, people, and we have no plan of introducing a vaccine passport. A couple of days later, However, the Transport Secretary, Grant Shapps, was on the airwaves, uh, admitting that the government is, in fact, looking at COVID passports for going abroad. He's in talks with counterparts in other countries. The government has indeed given money to a company to develop digital COVID passports. Uh, and this is this was never quite cleared up because actually the conversation in the middle of the week then moved on to this whole farce about whether or not people should be booking Uh, holidays abroad for the summer whether it was safe whether it was a risk etc but the reality is we don't yet know whether other countries are
0: going to allow
1: people into the country with or without a COVID
0: passport and this really is the crux of the matter isn't it it's not really under the purview of the uk government in terms of whether other countries ask for certification of vaccines when visiting them so the ministers can say whatever they want to on vaccine passports, but ultimately it's not the UK government that decides whether Greece or Spain or any other country in the world decides whether it needs a passport to get in it that certifies having a vaccination or not. Now, some loudmouth commentators on Twitter were in for a bit of a shock this week after a certain section of the left had been railing against the UK's pioneering first doses first strategy when it comes to vaccinating as many people as possible rather than doing those two doses closer together because the world health organization has come out in favor of this policy both saying it's the correct thing and actually increases the immunity level delivered from the AstraZeneca vaccine, but also that the AstraZeneca vaccine is safe and effective for everyone, even the over 65s. Now, for those people who've been decrying the UK strategy as reckless or evil or wrong, this was a a big problem because a lot of the people who've been saying that have been saying, listen to the WHO. Well, now I'm afraid it's the WHO that is agreeing with the UK government. What a turn up for the books. And of course, we've now hit the milestone of 25% of UK
1: adults having received at least one uh, vaccination. This is all good news. However, there is some sign that things might be tapering off. Uh, And there's words that this could be a deliberate strategy to try and hoover up those remaining crumbs of over 70s who have still not yet had the vaccine, which strikes me
0: as uh, slightly misguided as a strategy. Now it's worth saying that these are only rumours and we're still seeing hundreds of thousands of people being vaccinated every day. In fact, the UK's vaccination effort is so impressive that this week we saw the number of people vaccinated in the UK overtake the number of people vaccinated in the EU. Now, the UK is a country of 67 million people. The EU has a, uh, is it, I was about to say a country, it wishes. The EU pretends to be a country of 500 million people. Um, And so for the UK to have inoculated more people within our borders than the entire 27 countries within the EU is an incredibly impressive feat. A one-party regime engaging in frequent
1: purges of those disloyal to the leader. Uh, We're not talking about the USSR, we're going up to Scotland. uh, And this week, we uh, noticed that a book publisher in Scotland uh, is to delight all of us with a publication of Nicola Sturgeon's greatest speeches. Uh, Not only does this sound uh, like a parody of Mao's little red book, but in fact, the title is going to be Women Hold Up Half the Sky which is itself a Chairman Malquote. quote. The story gets slightly more interesting when we looked into who exactly is funding Sandstone Press, the publishers of the book. The managing director, according to his Twitter account, is himself a sycophantic nationalist. Uh, but the company has been bunged quite a lot of money from Creative Scotland, the, uh, the Quango up there. Uh, And were in fact taken to court last year by their rivals uh, after Creative Scotland poured a 410k worth of national lottery money into Sandstone Press to underwrite £310,000 worth of losses. Uh, And they've indeed been called a nationalised publisher by some more sceptic opponents. Uh, So Guido can only presume uh, that this new Little Pink book uh, will be compulsory reading for all school children shortly
0: now despite a lockdown there have been lots of parliamentary machinations this week not least over the incredible rebellion over the genocide amendment to the trade bill now for those of you who've been following we've done a few stories on this but this week we saw the government really get its hands dirty in how it's dealing with this sizeable rebellion steer spearheaded by ian duncan smith now Basically, what the genocide amendment to the trade bill uh, is trying to do is say that we shouldn't sign trade deals with countries that have been found to commit genocide. Now, the, the government does agree with the general premise of this, but there's a massive disagreement in terms of who gets to decide what genocide is, who gets to write the definition, who gets to say... whether whether a country is committing genocide. The government wants to say that Parliament should decide that, and this particular rebel amendment wants to say that the courts, that judges, should say who decides genocide. Now, uh, this has been pinged to and from the Lords a couple of times already, and the government actually this week, when everyone was expecting the vote to be, uh, bundled the votes in such a way that the genocide amendment uh, that says it should be left to the courts to define genocide was actually not able to be voted upon, and instead a separate, similarly worded, but government-backed amendment uh, produced by Bob Neill was voted on instead. Now this meant uh, a whole world of trouble for a lot of Conservative backbenchers. There were threats from whips, there was also an an unusually harshly worded letter signed by hundreds of Uyghur victims uh, from China. Now, the Lords has continually voted in favour of the Genocide Amendment, but the government has, with thin majorities, despite having an 80-seat majority in the Commons, there's only usually around 10 10 MPs' comfortability for the government on this. So this will be something that will be going forward and on and on, and, and we'll be sure to keep an eye on it.
1: A, a classic in the genre of, of scurrilous government waste this week, uh, as it emerged that Boris is now using his three, count them, three taxpayer funded number 10 photographers to do photo shoots with his dog. Uh, last week, it was revealed that uh, Boris now hires uh, three number 10 photographers. You've got Andrew Parsons, who's a longtime Tory photographer and is, is a proper spad. Uh, is on pro rata, 100,000 a year. You've got Simon Dawson, who's a new hire, he's on about 60k. And you've got Pippa Fowles, who is on secondment from the Ministry of Defence and could be earning up to £38,000. They decided to use this to do a lovely photo shoot of Dylan the dog frolicking in the snow. If this wasn't bad enough, uh, the photographer, in this case it was Pippa, though he had his pick, Uh, failed to blur out Dylan's dog collar and therefore accidentally exposed Carrie Simon's phone number to the world. Uh, Not to be outdone, Larry the cat also got a photo shoot uh, this week uh, and uh, asked uh, by the lobby, uh, Allegra Stratton uh, told the press that the photographers document the work of the government uh, and when asked if Dylan now constitutes the government, she doubled down, uh, saying they document the work of not just the prime minister, but the whole cabinet. Uh, so that is a massive promotion for Dylan, if accurate. On Thursday night, we got the exciting news that Lawrence Fox's political party Reclaim has finally been approved by the Electoral Commission. It does seem like an age ago that this phenomena uh, came to the fore via Lawrence's appearance on Question Time, uh, and he then announced that he's going to set up this sort of anti-woke, culture-war-focused party, and there's no doubt that a lot of people are going to be very interested in it. Uh, Ironically, we did notice that in the same Electoral Commission announcement, uh, confirming the party's approval. They also denied approval to a Black Lives Matter party, so in a way that's already 1-0 to Lawrence. Uh, and moving on to another culture war story, a much more light-hearted one, uh, the internet was set, a, set alive this week by a phenomenon from Weetabix as they suggested a new breakfast delicacy uh, of Weetabix with beans on. Uh, it was utterly vile, but uh, never let it be said that the Commons is out of touch with the public interest. Uh, it found its way into the Commons, and Jacob Rees-Mogg lambasted the proposal. Mr Speaker, as they used to say, Weetabix are unbeatabix. Um My personal preference, if I were to eat Weetabix, is not with um, baked beans, which I've always thought absolutely disgusting. I, there, was a, there was an advert... Uh, well, I'm sorry if I've upset the makers of baked beans, but there was a saying... Um, which is desperately politically incorrect nowadays so I hope the right hon. lady will forgive me it was their advertising slogan a million housewives every day pick up a can of beans and say Heinz means beans but when I was a child this was corrupted to a million housewives every day pick up a can of beans and say yuck, throw them away and I'm sorry that has always been my view of baked beans um, but Weetabix is absolutely splendid served with hot milk and brown sugar though for preference for breakfast Mr Speaker you will know what I like It's Nanny's homemade marmalade on toast. I think the good people of Wigan will be offended where all the baked beans for Europe
0: come from. Yes, I can see the factory are all sending their letters to the leader now. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for sticking with us for another episode of Guido Talks, a slightly unusual one, recorded, of course, on Paul's birthday. Happy birthday, Paul. Uh, Remember, you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all over the place. But also, crucially, this is available to watch as a video on YouTube. Not only can you watch this podcast on YouTube, but you can also skip to the specific bits you want to hear about using the links in the description. Thanks for watching. See you next week.